Welcome to episode 30 of That Classical Podcast. This time, Elgar and Holst. Hello! Hello! My name's Chris Bland. And my name's Kelly Harlock. And you're listening to episode 30 of That Classical Podcast. Yes, you are. Today we're going to talk about Edward Elgar and Gustav Holst. Now, we've talked about Elgar a little bit before, haven't we? We mm. talked about his concerto and stuff. Yeah. Um, but that's about it. And we've never talked about Holsty, so I bet you're excited right now. So much new information coming right? at you. Uh, brilliant. So, you know what this means, guys. It's time for... <laughs> that's right, we're going to compress their, their entire life and career into about a minute. Like WinZip. But what? for, you What's know WinZip? That? You know when you oh, compress, you compress files? Those files? Yeah, yeah. Right, but with it. a biography. Let's just, let's go for it. Are you ready? I am so ready. Are you steady? No, never. Go. Edward Elgar, born 1857, died 1934. He was born near Worcester in England. He's the fourth of seven kids, father of a musician, and his mother was the daughter of a farm worker. He had a musical upbringing, uh, music lessons in the area, but also occasional trips down to London for violin lessons. Uh, he became a solicitor after school, was like, nah, son, and started giving lessons instead. Uh, also became a member of the Worcester Glee Club. Didn't feel up to being a proper solo violinist after hearing loads of other professionals, uh, but did well in Worcester, conducting local musicians, performing, writing music, etc. Uh, he was getting performed in the Midlands a bit with professional orchestras as well as amateur groups, but nobody in London wants to publish or listen to his work. <laughs> Oh, so he didn't have that much money. Uh, he takes on a pupil, Caroline Alice Roberts. When he was 29, she was 37. Cougar. Uh, they married three years later. Her family not really a fan of him, but she becomes his main supporter and driving force behind his success. 20. Uh, they moved to London. Elgar got to listen to lots of new music, but had to move back the next year because he was broke. Um, he got really downhearted over his lack of success, always packed the whole thing in. Uh, but age 42, wrote his Enigma 10. Variations. Everyone loves him now. Uh, gets famous and respected. Gets knighted. Loads of money and respect. Woo! Um, greatest living British composer at the time. Uh, died sadly of cancer in 1934. <gasps> 59.44. You nailed Perfect. it. You did a good one. Um, right. First of all, he was a member of the Glee Club. That's <laughs> just a small town girl. Uh, what did that involve in uh, like the 18th? I mean, it was a Glee Club in the sense of it was basically a community <laughs> choir that he played the piano for. It. and It wasn't sort of all singing, all dancing routines. Much That's to my such chagrin. a shame, because in my mind that is a beautiful thing. Um, tell me more. What what bits do you want to pick out for us? Um, okay, so before we go on talking about him at all, one thing you need to know about him is that mm. he had a sick moustache. He had like a Was it massive? Was it one of those bushy? It was oh, yeah. bushy as hell. So just whenever we could keep talking about him now, just mm. just imagine that. Did it have loads of crumbs in it from... Uh, Almost from... definitely. Excellent. Almost definitely. Um, so yeah, I want to pick up quickly on when he almost packed it in, basically. So he moved yeah. to... London to try and sort of make his fame and fortune there with his wife uh, Alice. So her full name was Caroline Alice, but everyone called her Alice. Yeah, so he got exposed to loads of new music while he was down there because obviously there's more people performing in London than there were in mm-hmm. Worcester. Yeah, but <laughs> How uh, dare you? just yeah. no one was interested in his stuff basically, and he was making right. no money off his work. So he was huh. like, I'm really sick of this. So in 1884, this is now, uh, he said, my prospects are about as hopeless as ever. I'm not wanting an energy, I think. So sometimes I conclude that it's want of ability. That's really sad. Oh, it's no. super sad. But then a friend of his, a guy named rather splendidly Augustus Jaeger, Great name. who was a music publisher, encouraged him basically. He was like, come on, buddy, you, you can do you it. Got you this. got this. Mm. And encouraged him to keep writing, and he was like, yeah, okay, I guess. Mm -hmm. And then a few years later, he writes the Enigma Variations, which is the first piece we're going to be talking about today, Mm. and brings him loads of success, basically. So basically, he's an inspiration to us all, is what you're saying. If you don't make it until the age of 42, you've still got time, (laughs) guys. Just keep going. Still got time. Nice. So as I mentioned, 
Excellent segue here, Chris. Well Self high five. Mm, stop that. <laughs> the first piece I'm going to be talking about to you today is the Enigma variations. Ah, uh, yes. Specifically, the ninth variation of it called Nimrod. Great name. Mm. Uh, so these were written in 1899. As I said, he was 42 at the time. And so now they're amongst his most famous work, basically, next mm. to sort of pomp and circumstance, like he wrote Land of Hope and Glory, all that big yeah. stuff. All the big ones. All the big ones. Mm. And the story behind this is that he was teaching at the time in Worcester, as I mentioned. And after a long day of teaching, he just sort of had enough. He was was really down on himself. Uh, He sat down at his piano and was just messing around, tinkling the ivories, as one does. Mm -hmm. And his wife, Alice, poked head around the door like, what's what's, what's that you playing there? What's that you playing? Mm. So he took this theme and he developed it into a bunch of different variations uh, and he basically adapted it to make musical sketches of his friends and people who are important in his life. Like caricatures, but yeah. through music. Literally. Of, like massive chins on, on bicycles. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. Cool. But no, so for example, um, variation number 10, it's called Dorabella, hmm. uh, named after a viola pupil of his. Uh, so she had a stutter, and the opening of this starts off with like fluttering woodwind as if they're That's stuttering. rude. <laughs> oh my um, God, Elgar. Get a grip. And then uh, number three, variation number three, it's called RBT, uh, which is so lots of them, lots of the names of the variations, they're all initials or nicknames. Right. Gotcha. So number three is RBT. Uh, it goes from a sort of baritone register, the instruments, up to a soprano. And this was basically copying the RBT was named for a friend of his who was an Oxford Don right. who really liked Amdram, right. like amateur <laughs> dramatics. Nice. And so it goes from being this sort of like quite serious old man going up into like a soprano range for when he's on stage, oh, like cool. doing all these theatricals. Like okay. So number nine is called Nimrod, which, you know... Isn't that like an insult? Like you're a Nimrod? <laughs> exactly. God, so, that was rude, man. I don't, no. I don't know about this. Yeah, Nimrod. No, so at the time, Nimrod, not an insult at all. Okay. Uh, Nimrod, in fact, is the name of a biblical hunter who's sort of the <gasps> the greatest hunter of all time in the Bible. It's called Nimrod. Stop it. I know, right? Okay. So his friend, Augustus Jaeger, mm. Jaeger is the German word for hunter, hence Nimrod. <sighs> it all comes together. It all comes together. Nice. And I found out it's maybe a bit of an urban legend, but apparently the way that Nimrod now means idiot yeah. is through Bugs Bunny. So Bugs Bunny always had Elmer Fudd chasing him around. Yeah. And apparently one episode he's like, ah, check out this guy. He's a real Nimrod. Being like sarcastic hun- about like how great a hunter he is. Oh my God. And people, because they're not up on their biblical studies, Kelly. Trivia on that classical podcast. They're You're welcome. Up- <laughs> great dinner party facts. I know. Free. They're not up on their biblical studies. They were like, ah, Nimrod, that's a funny sounding word. It must mean idiot. I'll take it. So we're going to listen to this variation now, the Nimrod variation. Mm. And the place where we most usually hear this nowadays is on times like Remembrance Sunday oh, yeah. uh, in Dunkirk, the Christopher Nolan film. Great recently. movie. Great, Great movie. movie. Bleak. What? Well, hopeful. Also, Harry Styles, get out of everything. Oh, we're going to fight. <laughs> I, thought, I thought Harry Styles did a great job in that film. Are you kidding me? Let's take this off air. All right, this is a discussion to be had after we finish recording. <laughs> but yeah, so it's usually presented as this sort of nationalistic, proud to be British sort of piece. Yeah. Let's have a listen, see how it makes you feel.
just tugs at your heartstrings a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, man. It's a really, really beautiful piece. Uh, although, actually, listening to it this week, um, don't worry, I'm not about to say anything negative. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's the first time in a while that I've listened to the whole piece, so all the theme and variations together take about, like, half an hour-ish to okay. listen to. Deep. So it's the first time in a while that I've listened to the whole thing from start to finish. Mm. And actually, in the context of that, where he's writing lots of pieces that are sketches of his friends, so this one is for, as I said, this guy, Augustus Jaeger, who's yeah. one of his closest friends, the reason he kept on doing music, mm. it actually comes across to me as more of a statement of, like, warmth and friendship, rather than what it's become now, which is sort of like, I am British. Oh, do you know what? I, I also think that, that that music has been used to make things, like, quite funny and ironically overdramatic, like on, like, a McDonald's <laughs> advert for a hamburger, yeah. and you hear always being like, chicken nuggets, like, over that as a background. Um, I'm pretty sure that's happened. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's, yeah, it all is, right, all right, it's a very warm and, and lovely piece. It's oh, it's just beautiful. You are listening to that classical podcast. What? what? The next piece we're going to be talking about today is called Salut d'amour. Like, sup, love? Sort of. Love's greeting. <laughs> nice. uh, so he wrote this in 1888. And he originally called it Liebeskuss, is that... which is the German right. word for the same thing. Nice. Uh, because, of course, German says it with only one word. <laughs> they have a specific word for this. Uh, he wrote this for Alice. His, his wifey! Soon, his soon-to-be wife. Right, he wrote okay. this as an engagement present for her. Very nice. Oh. Um, so she'd written a poem for him, and so he wrote this for her in return. Oh, and she spoke please. German, which is why he called it oh, Liebeskuss. Super, super cute. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote this, and he's like, well, this is a present to my fiance, but I could try and make some money off it. <laughs> also for myself. Yeah. So he entered it into a composition contest, won uh, five quid. Why not? How much was five quid back in that uh, day? About £2,600. So Bloody hell! You know, nothing to be sniffed at. No, not at all. Not to be sniffed no at. No sniffing. Uh, and also, this was the first piece that he wrote that ever actually got published. This was his first published work. Great stuff. Uh, and he got two guineas from the publisher. And how much was that? Don't ask me. Less no than idea. five pounds. Less than five pounds. <laughs> and so this was in his poor days when he just really wasn't making that much. So mm. two guineas... Not really very much. Right, got it. But the publisher was like, yeah, it's pretty good. I reckon let's let's try and sell this to other countries. Mm-hmm. So they were the ones who changed the title to Salut d'Amour. Right, nice. Uh, to make it more palatable to the Europeans. Mm. They'd be like, ah, a French thing. Mm. And when they printed it, they didn't put his name as Edward Elgar. They put it as ed.elgar. So people thought he could have been Edouard Elgar or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, and nice. it worked. It sold, you know, pretty well nice. in other countries. Not mm. amazingly well, uh, but old Eddie Elgar did not get any more money. He got his two guineas. Two guinea pigs, that's and- all. <laughs> two guinea <laughs> two pigs. live guinea pigs. <laughs> that's exactly what the publisher sent to him. <laughs> so twee that it kind of makes you want to vom like <laughs> it's like that is not 
to be quite honest like that's not my idea of like a night like a cool classical piece it's a bit like yeah it is a bit schmaltzy oh god it's so sugary i just can't but it's very nice i think it's very nice so it's originally a piece for violin and piano that obviously was an orchestral arrangement of it right but if right if that wasn't sugary sweet enough already (laughs) it's about to get even sicklier (laughs) so he on, on the dedication he wrote to carice which is Caroline Alice, like her two names smushed together, was like a pet name. Unless he just got the wrong name, like Ross and Friends. Yeah. <laughs> but that's what they ended up calling their daughter. They Shut called their up. daughter Caroline. Get out of my house. It's so cute. I don't have time for this. I'm dead inside. Uh, but no, fine. Fair enough. It's, it's sweet. It's sweet. But not my favorite. It's very sweet. Mm. Anyway, so. Those are my, that's my little introduction to Elgar. In terms of listening to other stuff by him, towards the end of his life, he actually wasn't listened to as much as he was in the past. So, as I said, he had huge success with the Enigma Variations, yes. his first symphony. Yeah. People, by the time he'd written his cello concerto and stuff, at the time, people just weren't that interested. People just, do you know what? This is exactly the same, and I'll talk about this with Holst later, Ooh. but around the 30s, 20s, 30s, those older composers oh, really? massively went out of fashion because of people like Stravinsky. Oh, and wow. all these, like, cool people. It's exactly the same thing happened with Holst. I'll That's tell really you about it later. Sorry, However, one, yeah, no, one cool thing that Elgar did was that he was one of the first major composers to really get on board with gramophones and recording technology. Oh, sick! So he was, even though he was pretty old at this point, was one of the first people people to actually record his own works mm. that's super cool uh, but if you want some recommendations for listening the work that we mentioned in a previous episode his cello concerto just one of my favorite pieces ever it's for the cello. beautiful yeah yeah so good mm. uh, he wrote a few symphonies they're really good mm. symphony one is mm. my personal fave mm. uh, he's written a violin concerto He's written an amazing piece called The Dream of Gerontius, which was a bit controversial at the time. Gerontius? I know. Uh, Which is based on uh, Roman Catholic writing. So he was a Catholic at the time when it was not really okay to be a Catholic. Everyone was Anglican. But so he wrote this massive Catholic piece. Uh, Really, really beautiful, though, for sort of choir and orchestra and soloists. Mm. Definitely worth checking that one out. Uh, Yeah, have a look and let us know what you find. Awesome. Classischer Podcast. So now it's time to talk about our good friend, Gustav Holst. Another Gustav. It's another Gus Gus. Two Gustavs in two episodes. I know, I'm spoiling everyone. Personal record. Spoiling it all. Right, are you ready to time me? I am so ready. Are you ready? Nope. All right, ready, steady. Go. Gustav Theodor Holst was born on the 21st of September 1874 in Cheltenham, Gloucestershire, to a family of professional musicians. Learned the piano, violin, and trombone as a kid, started composing around the age of 12, and was a proper sickly kid with bad eyesight, asthma, and neuritis in his arm. Oh, no. 1817 got first professional post as organist and choir master in Gloucestershire. 1893 applied for scholarship at Royal College of Music, got pipped to the post by a young summer college tailor, uh, oh. accepted anyway as a non scholarship student. Age 21 and 1895 met Ray Fawn Williams and became best buds for life. Together they got a little obsessed with folk songs, magicals, and English vocal tradition. Left college in 1898 to get some pro jobs as a trombonist, married in 1901. 1903 gave up playing in orchestras to compose, inspired loads by literature and poetry. Poetry. Went travelling for an extended sense. period in 1908 to Algeria and stuff, and this gave him tons of ideas. Wasn't making enough money though, so became a teacher. First World War happens. Holst was deemed unfit for military service because he had bad eyes, bad lungs, and bad digestion. <laughs> Wrote the planets from 1914 to 16, and massively inspired by Stravinsky and Schoenberg. Eventually, the suite became a great success. 1917, wrote Him of Jesus, one of his most famous works. Started teaching at the Royal College of Music in 1923. 1924, not feeling so great, so cancelled all professional engagements and moved to the countryside. Ten seconds. Loads of choral stuff, operas, orchestral pieces, and even music for films. But sadly, people weren't really impressed by him anymore, and he died of heart failure on the 25th of May, 1934. Aww. <laughs> I'm always so relieved when I get to the end of these things and then we end on the fact that these people die and it's yeah, really sad I mean, unfortunately that I'm is so how sorry. most lives end but so he was it. a bit sickly was he? 
Oh my goodness, yes, oh, yes, guy. he was. So he grew up with asthma and bad eyesight, but everyone just thought he was a bit dumb and didn't realise he needed oh. glasses. <laughs> but he just couldn't read. Oh, that's um, so sad. Yeah, and he had um, neuritis in his arm, which meant that he couldn't really sort of write, uh, especially when he got older, he had to get people to like scribe his um, uh, okay. compositions right, for him and right. stuff. And then obviously, war happened. Yeah, uh, and World first World War, yeah, and he couldn't go because I think I hope you heard me say he had bad eyes, fine, bad lungs, okay, <laughs> and bad digestion. <laughs> I feel like that's probably not necessarily. Uh, a I feel like that's, to that's, go. that's um, the least bad of the three, but yeah, still, poor guy. Poor guy. So um, he had it a bit rough, but he was also a vegetarian. He never <laughs> smoked and he never drank, so he must have been okay. the life and soul of the party. Wow. Well, if his body's in that bad shape, he had to do everything he could to possibly get himself back to that normal. That is true. But no, do you know what? He just seemed like a bit of a nice chap, really. There's not oh. a lot of gossip. Um, oh. He had some interesting hobbies. He uh, was really interested in Hindu spirituality and cool. mysticism and things like that. And he actually studied Sanskrit at university. Oh, cool. So he ended up translating all these ancient Sanskrit texts and making operas out of them, which oh, was like nice. super cool and niche and edgy, which is, yeah, great. So he wrote loads of operas out of these ancient texts. And he also, I hope you heard me say, he was busy mates with Rafe Vaughan Williams, yes. our good friend. Yeah, I vaguely knew about that and, through my Vaughan Williams yeah, fanboyness. Yeah, and do you remember, <laughs> if you remember in our episode, we mentioned that Rafe got really into folk music yeah, and, and like yeah, old yeah. English vocal yeah. tradition. And so too did our friend Holst. Oh, okay. And just a really fun fact that I found that goes back to something we've talked about before as well. Do you remember we talked about The Fairy Queen by Purcell? Uh, the one that goes, one charming night, that I mean, bit. Unnecessary, but sure. Yeah. musical theatre kind of tone. Um, <laughs> so Holst is actually one of the first people that performed this since 1695. Oh, cool. He found the score that had been like lying hidden somewhere. Oh, no way. And yeah, was the first person to perform it in 1911. Since then. Go Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah. that's pretty cool. So that was another cool thing. But like I said earlier, when you were talking about the thing with Elgar going out of fashion, mm. people just really stopped being interested in Holst oh, by yeah. the 1920s. They were just yeah. quite bored because I think those group of guys that had been composing at the turn of the century... Were viewed as quite modern and innovative at, the, at, the at time. that time, but then just got a bit old and fusty. That's the way fashion you know goes, I mean? isn't it? Anyway, let's <laughs> let's go into the first piece and we can learn more about him through that. So, of course, how could we talk about Gustav Holst without talking about the, the planets? planets? It's the bloody planets, mate. So I'm super excited to talk about this because it is one of my favourite classical pieces, I think, mm. in the world. Yeah. And it's just iconic, isn't it? It's beautiful. Um, talk me through it. What is it? I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna. So the planets, as you may have perhaps grasped at this point, uh, is a seven-movement orchestral suite about... The planets. Well, and it was, there, there are more than seven planets. Well, there are now, but they weren't necessarily... Well, so the Earth isn't included and Pluto isn't included. Gotcha. Nailed Pluto it. Pluto famously not any longer a planet. <laughs> oh, poor guy. <laughs> um, anyway, so it, this was written between 1914 and 1916. And each of the movements is named after a planet mm -hmm. and its own sort of astrological character, which I shall explain Ooh. anon. Uh, so this all came about because of two things. Thing the first uh, is that Gustav went on holiday. He went on holiday to Mallorca with his friend Clifford, lads on, lads tour. on tour. Yeah, lads, lads, lads. In 1913, and Cliff introduced him to astrology. Now, just to remind the listeners, astrology is the study of like the movement of stars and planets and their effect on us as humans instead of like space and stuff right. proper. Do you know what I mean? Right. Not astronomy, astrology. Okay. So the, the one that's not real and is made up. 
that enough of lie. enough of that. Okay. Um, and so he just got a bit obsessed by it and okay. started making up his friends' horoscopes and stuff. And when I when I read this, <laughs> my mind just immediately went to a modern day Holst writing for like OK Magazine's oh horoscope God, section, like Mystic Gustav. Hey, my Pisces energies, tell your SO he needs to respond to your needs this month. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> anyway, so uh, the second thing was that he went to a performance of Schoenberg's Five Pieces for Orchestra in 1914. Uh-huh. And he was like, wowzer. And he got a copy of the score. And then the working title for the planets was Seven Pieces for Large Orchestra. Oh, so, he's original. Uh, not quite plagiarising like all of my university <laughs> essays. <laughs> so the okay, seven... So these, I can see how these influences yeah, come right? together. It makes got sense. It, yeah. So the seven movements, I've got to say, Holst really nailed these characterizations. They mm. are on point. All right. The first movement is Mars, bringer of war, right? The god of war. You might recognise this one. The beat of it is like... And it's basically everything that Ravel's yes. Bolero could have been. <laughs> Isn't it really? Um, yeah, but you, Ravel, and your yeah. Bolero. <laughs> no, super, love Ravel, hate Bolero. Yeah, standard. <laughs> but no, it's, it's super cool. It's super intense. It mm. riles you up for a battle. It's good. It's and my favourite one. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good one. It sounds like the Gladiator OST. And I was when I was listening to it Does this it? week, it reminded me of Gladiator so much. And I was like, that's odd. And I Googled it. Guess what? The Holst Foundation sued Hans Zimmer because it sounded no so similar. And it wasn't in like the public bit oh, yet. So, Hans. Hans yeah. Zimmer, what are you doing? Naughty. Uh, sorry, Hans. And also John Williams <laughs> used it for Star Wars as well. Copied the crap out of it for Star Wars. Uh, but at least he admits uh, it. Yeah, so Hans, yeah, get a grip. <laughs> Next, we've got Venus. We love you, Hans. We love you. Um, we've got Venus, bringer of peace. That's mm. probably one of my favourites. I think I'd say it's my second favourite one. All right. It's really, really beautiful. Very peaceful, very chilled, like a nice summer evening. You should absolutely check it out. Next, we've got Mercury, the winged messenger. He's a little cheeky chappy. Um, very <laughs> light. Cheeky boy. It's, it's a bit naughty, this one, actually. It's just it's very, it's very nice. Lovely. Then we have Jupiter, the bringer of jollity. And so this is obviously my jam, and that's why we'll be doing this one today. Is that I'm, what we're I'm also to? a bringer of jollity, I like to think. Um, but it's honestly one of my favourite pieces maybe in the world, this one. Ooh. So we'll listen to that shortly. But after Jupiter comes Saturn, the bringer of old age. And as you might expect, it has all the youth and vigour of a tenor lady, does this one. Okay. It is just really boring and slow huh. uh, and not my favourite at all. Very all right. serious. All right. And then we've got Uranus, the magician. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and then finally, it's Neptune, the mystic. And this one is also really stunning. And it's got a choir in the background as well. It's the only one with a choir. Really mysterious. Ooh. And it was one of the first orchestral pieces to have a fade-out ending. What? Like a live fade-out ending. So Holst said, Holst's like directions of performing this last um, Neptune final piece was that the women's choir was singing from another room throughout the whole thing. And in the last few bars, someone just closed the door (laughs) really slowly in the room so that they just got, and then they they close the door and then they just get quieter and quieter until like it sounds really distant. That's so clever. I thought you were going to say something like they just sort of had to like shuffle off stage. (laughs) Maybe that was another direction. Um, But that's really cool. So that's the background there. Let's take a listen to Jupiter, the bringer of jollity, and we'll chat a bit more about it in a second. Jupiter, 
so weirdly, the thing that that reminds me of most is, or the memory I've got connected to that most, (laughs) is that at primary school, they had a CD of the planets that they always made us walk into school assembly (laughs) in. And whenever this one came out, I was was like, yeah, this is my favourite one. So me being, yeah, just tiny and walking into assembly at primary school. That's very sweet, babe. I have to say, it was so hard to pick my favourite 30 seconds of this piece. Oh, really? Honestly, I had to do the beginning just because it's so iconic and, like, Mm. massive. But there are just so many other parts of that piece that just absolutely get me. Before I go on to those, though, I found out the coolest thing. So... Actually, in writing this, Hulse did employ a little bit of astronomy as well as astrology. Okay, good. Did you know that Jupiter has the fastest rotation of any planet in the solar system? I did not know that. And I think Hulse knew this. And I think it's really illustrated by the, I hope you heard the, by the strings, that really, really fast three-note figure Mm. from the beginning, representing this, like, constant, really fast spin. Isn't that cool? That is really cool, actually, yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, no, love the other bits of that piece. There are things that you would definitely recognise, a.k.a. vis-a-vis this. And... That is You're not even the main nice. bit. You're welcome. I vow to thee my country is in the middle of Jupiter. Do you remember that? Oh, so it is. So yeah. Hulse originally wrote that melody. I vow to thee. Mm, mm. He wrote that for Jupiter for this piece. Mm. But then, I mean, he wrote it for Jupiter, a crazy massive planet filled with many poisonous gases. Uh, and then in 1921, <laughs> put the same melody to a poem by Cecil Spring Rice about the war. Um, makes me cry every time. But yeah, so so basically, there are just so many bangers within a banger. It's bangerception, basically, <laughs> Jupiter. Uh, and it, it really is just the most fantastic piece. But go and listen to the other planets. You just won't be disappointed at all. all. That classical podcast. Next! It's seven-part songs. This is a massive, massive contrast to what we just heard. These seven songs are scored for a three-part women's chorus, uh, a string orchestra, so that could be as few as, like, 12 string instruments, uh, and a solo soprano. So something really, really intimate and for voice. And Holst wrote these in 1925 and 26. Okay. And each of these seven songs is set to a different poem by Robert Bridges. So do you remember I mentioned that he was really inspired by poetry? And he wrote so much all the time on on different types of poems, whether they were Sanskrit or whatever. Sure. And, um, so who is Robert Bridges? Robert Bridges, so he was actually Britain's Poet Laureate from 1913 to 1930. Oh, that's quite a long time, shows how much I know. Yeah, yeah, but he was not that well known, but a right. few composers actually really liked his okay. stuff. Okay, all right. And yeah, it's just a really haunting and lyrical collection of songs. But what's really, really nice about them is that Hulse made them super easy to sing. Because So Hulse okay. was actually a teacher at St Paul's Girls' School, which is actually just down the road from, from oh, us. Okay. Um, it's a really famous girls' school in London. And he wrote it for the girls there originally. And, you know, obviously you can't write anything too complicated for, like, 12-year-olds. <laughs> he also used to be a teacher at another school, actually. I was talking to someone yeah, earlier was. today. Yeah, yeah. And she's a teacher. And she was like, oh, you're doing an episode about Hulse. Oh, really? He used to be a teacher at the school yeah, I Yeah, he taught now. in quite a few yeah. places. And then he taught at the Royal College of Music as well. So yeah. he was like the village bicycle. Uh, teacher, man. Um, so today we'll be listening to number six, Love on My Heart from Heaven Fell. Let's have a listen.
Oh, with a name like Love on My Heart. I was expecting like a boy band song. <laughs> Love on My Heart from Love Heaven Fell. Love on My Heart. <laughs> and um, what did you get? <laughs> Not that. I think it was just really pretty. And I think that's nice. It's, I love the simplicity of it, right? Yeah, it definitely it sounds like... No shade on the people who've seen that, but it sounds like an amateur piece, like a piece that amateurs can see. <laughs> There's massive amounts of shade on those people. No, I know what you mean. I think it would almost sound nicer with like a younger girls' choir as well, instead of like yeah. the kind of, like kind of, uh, again, no shade on those women, <laughs> the kind of maybe a more pure sound. But um, no, I, I just thought it was it was really stunning. Yeah, I'm annoyed because there's not actually a lot of information about it around. Um, but if you put that in the context of where he was in his life, mm. he would have just dropped all, basically his doctor was like, you're not doing very well. In you the have bad lungs and bad eyes and bad digestion. <laughs> bad digestion. <laughs> and he was like, stop working now and go and live in the countryside. And mm. so he would have, Hulse would have just left London and he probably would have, was finding some peace okay. in the country and I think this kind of maybe reflects that I don't know I'd like to think so oh. anyway go and listen to the other six uh, pieces in there that's really really stunning will do and if you want to listen to some other Holst first of all just please go listen to the planets please absolutely and then uh, I mean something that is considered one of his other kind of masterpieces is called The Hymn of Jesus it's this massive orchestral choral piece it's, it's quite heavy I mean I'm not sure if it's, it's not really a <laughs> banger as it were but um <laughs> go and check that out St Paul's Suite is is very nice too um his kind of opera stuff uh, um Savitri is, is a kind of chamber opera they're no longer than 30 minutes check those out uh The Perfect Fool which was an opera that he wrote but actually no one really liked the opera but oh, we no. did like <laughs> the ballet music from it so that's pretty cool yeah guys just go and check some stuff out he's got loads of stuff to listen to and mm. I bet you'll enjoy it Please leave us a five-star review. Please leave us a five-star review. Please leave us a five-star review. And that was our episode on Edward Elgar and Gustav Gus Gus Holst. <laughs> Gus Gus 2. Uh, Gus Gus 2, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more, if you want to follow us on mm. all the social medias, mm-hmm. guess what? You can do that. Mm. The easiest thing to do is go to our website. www.thatclassicalpodcast.com a dot com. On there, we have all the details of every single way you can follow us. Mm. Other than that, though, you can find us on Spotify. Uh, not yes. only is the actual podcast on Spotify now, which is incredibly exciting. Woo-hoo. Hi, if you're listening on Spotify. Yes. But we also have a playlist where we compile all the pieces we mention in every single episode we've ever done. Indeed. As well as, you know, pieces that are inspired by that <laughs> and that yeah. are vaguely connected to it. And everything in between as well. Absolutely. And finally, and maybe most importantly, if you've enjoyed the episode, <laughs> please head to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. We'd love to hear from you on there and we really do appreciate it. Otherwise, we'll see you guys next time. Bye! Bye. Today, we're going to talk about two composers. Mm, today... <laughs> good one, good one, girls. Now, we've talked about Eddie the Eagle, Edgar. Ed, fuck me. <laughs> Hello! Hello! <laughs> So towards the end of his life in like the 1920s wasn't as <laughs> yeah that's fine just sneeze all over me so his cello concerto just one of the most I'm so sorry that's really loud god that's like a fart bicycle <laughs> but I don't need no explanation cause baby you're the boss at home I don't want to do the work. Work, 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 work. What a boy! What a boy!
I'm your Venus. I'm... <laughs> Why do you keep screwing up? Ah, oh dear, stop. Astrological. <clears throat> That's not a word. Uh, is the. I've forgotten his name. Gustav. Fire, your desire.